welcome to the Succession Fit Podcast. I am Tom Hine, your host. I'm thrilled to welcome Mike Hurst today to the show. Mike is a retired financial advisor, a budding author, a husband, and a grandfather. I first met Mike over six years ago when he went through my company's acquisition process, and I'm excited to hear about his views then and what he has done since that time. Welcome, Mike. So when we first met, among all of our great conversations, one of the quotes that always sticks in my mind is that you said there are two kinds of people, those who do as much as they can and those that do as little as they can get away with. Share with me more about how that philosophy sort of drove you. And more importantly, we connected with that and your famous word about being obsessive with your clients' portfolios. That's one of the things that I, that I picked up uh, talking to clients. I don't, I don't know where it came from, but it struck in there with me. I think everybody understands having dealt with someone who would do as little as possible. And that aggravates people. <laughs> the other side of that coin is the people who are obsessed with and do as much as they can. When I when I developed my business, it was it was a thing that evolved over time. I wanted to be the type of person that I would have wanted to have worked for me. Okay. And that meant obsession. <laughs> yeah. I want somebody to really pay attention. This is managing money. I want someone to actually manage the market. I want to pay attention to that, full-time attention, take responsibility, do all these things. And so when I set up my business, I said, that's what I have to do. And when we were talking, the first time we got together, I mentioned that. It was, it was almost like an apology. I did. I'm, I'm obsessive about the way my clients' money. Right? I live and die. I am responsible for what happens to their money. And I take my responsibility seriously. Right. And when you heard that, you understood what that meant. It was, it was the personality I have to do as much as possible. I have to deserve my clients. Right. And we talked about the culture fit. And when Mike used the word obsessive, I'll never forget, very few advisors use that term in a caring way. Like, I'm going to get this right. I remember you telling me early on just one of your stories about uh, the set and forget it. Remember, people would tell you, sell something and move on and share with the audience. Because for those advisors out there, many of them hardworking that want to have a great succession or continuity plan. You need to find that good cultural fit, someone who thinks and works like you do, who wants to earn the trust of their clients. But share with me early on. An awful lot of us that came into this industry came in through selling life insurance. Yep. And I never really wanted to sell life insurance. Who does? It just kind of <laughs> happened to me. But I was advising to get my securities license. I did that. And I, I, I will never forget that I was sitting in on one of those all-day meetings where they cover all the things of the life insurance industry. And they were talking about securities. And, and the, 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 uh, the general agent said, uh, uh, don't forget, once you, once you make the sale, once you get that thing, you're done. You're not, you, we don't want you to go back and help people with things. And I'm sitting at the table saying, that's, that's what we're supposed to do. And you're telling me we're not supposed to. People that we sell to, people whose assets we take in, they believe that we are going to help them. Right. And now I'm listening to saying that that's not your job. Yeah, move on to the next one. This is, this, this is, this is like sleight of hand. Yes, yes. And I, and I determined that's, that's not the way I would do that because they are wrong and I think I'm right. And so I developed the whole thing around that that just kept doing as much as I could to benefit them. Yeah, I was, I was alone in that. It, it's probably 90% of the, in, the industry that will, that will set things up, put out the asset, put it in, put the file in the drawer, slam the door shut, click next. Right. And it will never be looked at again. And the world can go to hell in a handbasket. And they still won't and touch they, the they file care. or call the client. Right. Yeah. An individual investment 
or, or, or fund or something like that have disastrous results, and that's not the problem. Right. And if you recall, we talked about another week, and I'm not trying to bash the industry, but a lot of us in our early training courses, if you don't do anything and you don't rebalance, you're not at fault. Talk a little bit about that, because you and I felt the opposite, which is why we, culture-wise, we connected so well. As long as everybody agrees that it's not our job to do anything, nobody can be second-guessed. Right. Everybody's doing it. Right. Or not doing it, yeah. either way, right? Yeah. And from my perspective, I'm saying, well, if you're all wrong, that doesn't make me, if I do the same thing. Exactly. Right? It's not what I would want, and what I'm going to do is what I would want other people to do for me. Bingo. And you nailed it. And you nailed it. So it's the golden rule. Right. It is. But not everyone follows it. So walk me through. uh, It was like, I think, between 2011 and 2013, you were sitting with one of your executive clients, a really sharp aerospace engineer. And share with me what he asked you, because at that point, you and I hadn't met. But I love the story you told me about that. It was one of the great clients. And I had a lot of people that really enjoyed the visits. They were as much social as they were business. Mm -hmm. And, and out of the blue, he said, well, do you have a succession plan? I thought, wow, nobody's ever asked me that before. I never thought of that. But I'm, I'm probably a few years away from retirement. I'm not planning on retiring now. And he was asking me that. And I surmised that he was asking me that question for my benefit. Right, right. Since then, I thought, well, maybe he was asking me for his benefit. Like, what would he do if I, if I passed away? But it was the first time that in my mind I thought about Oh, it's someday I'm going to have to stop this. Maybe it's going. Maybe I'm going to drop dead. Maybe I'm just going to walk away. Maybe I'm going to sell. I never, I never really thought about that. Mm-hmm. So, what was it like then when you take that moment? Because I know you and I are wired the same. The thing I love about Mike when we get those questions that we're not expecting, and it kind of rattles around. And I know you. You wouldn't let it go. You're like, I've got to have a game plan, even though the game plan didn't start. You know, the next day. Walk me through some of that process from. You know, the client asked you, and then we talked about a couple of uh, the one with the home office gentleman, you know, where you put his interest over yours. Well, just kind of walk the audience through that process. Let me go a little bit deeper than that. Yeah. Uh, the first time I, th- I thought about that was when FP Transitions, a company that manages people changing, selling businesses, mm-hmm. uh, came to a, the annual conference for, for Investors Capital. Okay. And it was one of the side things that you could go to to visit, and so I went into that. Yeah. I was a little ways from thinking about retirement. I was curious about that. And they talked about what their process was and how it's, it's organized. It's disciplined. They make sure that both the buyer and the seller are appropriate and make sure that the contract is appropriate to both of them. So the, pay, the, the buyer pays a fair price. The seller gets a fair price. And it's, and it's starting off on that. Then, then the transition can go a lot smoother. Mm-hmm. And, I, and, I, and I like that prospect. And they give a little bit of an idea of what the value was. Kind of for the first time, I thought, Gee, this thing I've been doing, all it, it has value. It has value. Maybe when I get to the time of retirement, this is a saleable item. Right. And it's like having yeah. an asset other than yeah. real estate, yeah. but a lot of people look at it as intangible, but your relationship with your clients, that's the big prize. And for the first time, I thought about that. Yeah. Right. So now, now years are going by, and, and, it's, and I'm getting closer. And uh, and then one day, out of, out of the blue, I get a telephone call, and it's somebody who asked me, you know, you're, you're, have you ever thought about retirement? Uh, and I'm thinking, well, well yeah, I about retirement. I'm not ready to retire, but I thought about it. And he said, well, we should get together and talk. And he said, well, come down to my office in Glastonbury. Yeah. And we'll, and we'll have a talk. I was like, Glastonbury? 
Where's Glastonbury compared to Springfield, Massachusetts, right? Country. That's so far away from Western Massachusetts. Come on. Right. They root for different teams there. How could I go there? My, my clients are all close. They're used to having somebody close. There probably was somebody close. This is Glastonbury. Oh, my God. I'm going to have to go down. I'm going to have to go down. I, 84. Where the, where the driver's at 84. They think they're driving Dodgers. <laughs> yes. They, they call them bumper cars now, right? They come down 84. Well, okay. And in, in, in that turn across the river? Yes. If, if you don't know what it is, you're probably going to hit the abutment and die. Right. That was not part of my succession plan for you, by the way. I get that. And, and there's a beautiful big office. And and I'm here. All, all that I'm really here to do is get some experience in what it's like to sit in on an interview. Right. Right. Just, you're too far away. And I'm not quite ready yet. And I go up to the floor. It, it, and it's a beautiful office. Into the conference room. Everybody's there. And we it was, it was a great meeting. It was, and, and it, for me, it's just a learning experience. You're going to ask these kind of questions. I'm going to make these kind of answers. We're going to talk about these things back and forth and all that. That's where we heard about the obsession and stuff like that, right? Because, because I'm open and I'm honest. I'm going to tell you things whether they're right or wrong, right? And that's why sharing for the audience, whether you're a buyer or seller, you know, we have those moments. You can call them aha moments or epiphanies, whatever you want, where. The seller or buyer says something and you don't have to, you can either finish the sentence or your brain knows exactly what they mean. And so for me uh, and my team, we spend the same due diligence with our clients. When you said, I can't believe people would just sell a client and move on. I knew I was dealing with the right type of guy that had this long-term approach. So give me a sense then from that moment, whether it's my firm or I know you had a couple others you were talking to, what are some of the hurdles and things that people said to you that maybe didn't turn out to be true because that was our first meeting, but it took another year or two after that for us to actually, you know, consummate the transaction, which by the way, by that time, I'm like, Oh, please, Mike, we've been talking two years. Let's get this thing done. But you were doing your own due diligence. So share with the audience. When I got ready, the last hurdle was my two youngest children were on their feet and stable and set. And I didn't need to still be working to be able to, to fill in any gaps that they might have in their life. Mm -hmm. I said, well, I'm, I'm, I'm what, 70, 77 years old? No, or was I? It was, I was, 70, I was 72 or 73. Mm -hmm. That's, I think it's time. Right? We, we in, the, in the business, I mean, in the time that I had been an advisor, we went through two of the worst economic periods. The bear markets. The Great Depression. Right. right. The first was 2000, 2001, 2002. Minus 25%, minus 25%, and minus 27%. Yeah, on the indexes, that's correct. That's, and that's what that was. I was managing my client's money, something that nobody else I knew was doing to a greater degree. Right. You were not. Some advisors were hiding, we call it hiding under the desk, not returning phone calls. And like me, you were out there either visiting your clients or talking to them saying, here's my game plan. I'm not just going to stay put. Yeah, I always spoke my time to visiting my clients, not before. Yeah. It, it was in December of 2000. Yep. When suddenly I realized what everybody in the industry was talking about. Oh, it's going to be okay tomorrow. Just leave it. The election is over. All the excuses why these things aren't happening are over. This is a recession. And there isn't anybody that's saying a word about this. Mm -hmm. Who am I, this one guy in Western Massachusetts? I realize that nobody else does. Right. And I, and I sat down at my desk and I just took a stack of files and I put them up on the desk. And I had to, I, I wasn't an advisor then. If I want to make a change, I had to call the client, tell him what I wanted to do, get his approval, 
before I could do it. Right. That's called uh, for the audience discretion versus non-discretionary. If you didn't have discretion, and back then very few did, you had to get permission from the client. Nowadays, more clients are open with discretion. So I sat there with one, one file at a time, and every client had two or three or four accounts, and called the client. If, if, if I couldn't get a hold of them, they went in this file. If I got a hold of them, I explained what it is, not to approve it. If they approved it, it went in this file. Almost everybody said, okay, they were, they were used to me by that time. If I called with a suggestion, yeah, go ahead and do that. Uh, and I would call until 9 o'clock at night. At 9 o'clock at night, you can't call anymore. That's a rule. So I put those down, and I go to the computer. In the days of dialogue, every account had all of these investments. They're all mutual funds. And each holding in each mutual fund was a separate process of repositioning. Right. And I don't know if you can still remember how long it took. The dial-up back then, yes. First page to go to the second page, the second page to go to the third page, the third page to go to the fourth page, click, and that process was done. And now you went to the second investment in the first mutual fund of the first client at the beginning of the process. Right. That's what it was like before technology advanced. By 2 o'clock in the morning, by 2 o'clock in the morning, I would hit and go on to the next one. And I would forget what I just did. <laughs> right. I can't blame I you. I have to go back. <laughs> yeah. Go back and go back to find out what I just did. So I know oh, this is what I want to do next. Right. There was a lot. But here's the thing. You took that process and you were smart enough to recognize whether it was going to be our firm or somebody else. You're like, whoever buys my firm and takes care of my clients, they have to have a process that basically takes that to a higher level. Right. And, and you figured that out just in the moment. Right. I finished that, that process with six days before Christmas. And now they days I made phone calls, nights I was on the computer. It took days and days and days. it took about a week to get it done. And then it was done. Now I had six days before Christmas and we had Christmas and go on. And that was that was a, that was a baptism of fire. It, it certainly was. And walk us through the next bear market was the housing, the great financial crisis. Before we got to that, yeah. the beginning of the next year was a continuation. Now, all of my clients are, are sitting in cash or government securities. No risk at all. It's the second year of everything. And all of a sudden, I, I realized I just, I just, we, we just went and did our taxes, and I owe a bunch of money because last year was a good year. There was no money coming in. I only get paid when I bring in new accounts. I'm making no money. I've been under more stress than I've ever been under in my life. And I'm about to, to fail. Because Even though you took care of your clients first. Yeah. yeah. The clients were set. Right. There was no money coming in. Right. Because it was a transaction business then. Yeah. And that, and that was a crisis point for me. And, and, I, and I got through that with a little help from a doctor, <laughs> and a little help from medication. And, uh, and, and uh, it's, you know, and, and we got through. Uh, second year was the, the second part of 2002 was my clients waking up and saying, well, here's the quarterly statement. What's everybody else complaining about? We didn't lose any money. Right. That was the most amazing moment. And that was the key. That was the day, the time when that first call came in that all of a sudden people were coming to me to become clients. People were advising their friends. Well, my clients, my, my, my guy's doing this. And all of a sudden I went from I'm out of business and I'm a failure in my life. And to I, a bunch of referrals. And I had been through a bad marriage and I had reconstructed my life and I was doing very well and facing oblivion at that point. And all of a sudden it went back up again. The second, the second major thing was 2008. Yes. 
in 2008. I learned from 2000 to 2002. And it was 2008. And I don't think anybody or almost anybody realizes today how severe that problem was. Right. We got to the point where no bank would loan money to another bank. Right. That was in desperate need because they were afraid they'd never get the money back. Right. And if they never got the money back, they'd fail too. Correct. Any business who needed money to cover payroll. It was all frozen. They weren't going to get the money. And nobody and and when payroll checks stop, the employees don't come to work anymore. Right. This this was a calamity that was not nationwide. This was worldwide because everybody is connected. Right. And we went through that. And early in that thing, we're we're, we're trying to assume you know, we, we didn't understand what all this thing about working was working. <clears throat> and and all of a sudden the uh, uh, President Bush said, we're going to send checks for, for $250 to everybody in the country. And I said, wait a minute. <laughs> wait a minute. I've, I've heard this before. This is this is desperation. Right. This is fear talking. Yeah. And if the president is coming out and saying, we're going to, we're going to do this, we're going to send everybody these checks, this is a hell of a lot worse than we think it is. Right. And the same thing it was. This is not a time when I want my clients' money in the market. Correct. Right. By now, I was an advisor, so most of my clients, I didn't have to. I could just do it. He had discretion. The but accounts had changed over. Clients accounts were too small. Yep. So I had to do that the old way, and I did that too. That's the way it should be done. Right. That's not the way they told me to do it. It's not the way they wanted me to do it. I didn't make as much money as the people who didn't do it. But this is the way it was. it should be done. And you did it the right way. So when you finalized that second bear market, uh, I just want to have the audience here a little bit before we go into all the fun stories, you know, about retirement. What was in your mindset that you recall when you had to both talk to me and other potential buyers? Like, what was it like navigating? Because as you chuckle, I know what it's like having heard it, but I want the audience to hear from your perspective. It, 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 it was Then I know he's talking to, and I'm telling him like 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 I told Tom, it's <laughs> this is this is what I do. And I'm getting people who are bright, attractive, articulate, well organized, saying, "I'm not doing that. I do this. I'm not doing that." And sometimes they would, and sometimes I I would say internally, I'm, I'm, "This is not somebody I want to hand my clients over to. My clients are my friends." I'm not giving my my friends into the hands of somebody who does not have their best interest. Right. And that's and, that, and that's and that's it. Uh, FE transitions. I, I talked to them, uh, and and they they gave me some ideas, and I, I picked up some information. And basically, I'm kind of do it myself. They will do the the, the sale for pretty much for you. Right. But I was going to do it my. I didn't want to spend the extra money. <laughs> well, that's the that's the Yankee I, in you. I learned the hard way. That professionals are professionals for a reason. And I think all of the mistakes I ever made, I could have avoided if I had talked to somebody who was a professional, who had been this before, understand all the ins and outs, and were able, were able to advise me correctly. Right. right. So, I, so I talked to people who, who would say, you know, oh, yeah, yeah, come on in and uh, share your files with yeah. me. Remember that one? First, first one I went to, I went to, yeah, but we'll go to the first one. First. All right. First, I went. I went to. I went to the investors' capital office. I talked to. I was. He was in charge of managing, uh, managed accounts, and he had been. He had been trained by 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 uh, 
like the, one of the best people I've ever seen for managing money. Uh, and he, went, he he came straight out of St. Michael's College, been with Investors Capital for probably 15 years. Yeah, maybe probably longer than that. And I and when I when I told him that that's what I was that's what I was thinking of, he said, "Really? I've been, I've been thinking of buying practice. Can I can I can I buy your practice?" I'm saying, "Boy, this is easy." Right. Meaning, you know, a home office person that's ethical and knows yeah. your practice, yeah. that's a no-brainer. Yeah. We're going to work on a fair price. We're going to work this out. There's no paperwork involved. We won't have to do that huge amount of effort because uh, we're the same broker dealer. <clears throat> and I said, I went back home and said, all right, yeah. At the end of the year, we'll be ready to do that. And the years go by, we're, we're not talking, we're not talking. I get to the end and say, we need to sit down. We need to talk to each other, get used to talking to each other prepare ourselves for the days we're going to be talking to all the clients. And I walk into the office, and I'm already around relaxed. This is from, from Belchertown, Massachusetts, to Linfield, Massachusetts, which is up, up almost to Gloucester. Yeah. And we sit down in the office, and he said, well, <laughs> and he says, I just had a meeting the other day with a company who was, who was buying investors' capital and may or may not close investors' capital, and they offered me this great position with their company. I said, um, <laughs> And, and on, on, honestly, said, I, I said to myself, what if I was him, I'd take that. It's going to be the same job with a much bigger company for a much higher price. Right. And so I said, well, if I were you, I'd, I'd take it. Yeah, but I want to add that for everyone's benefit. Mike is that rare individual that actually put the other, you know, put the other person's needs ahead of his and said, even though I'd love you to buy my company, you actually have a better deal on the table. Yeah. Yeah. And that's another example of your character. You could have said, that's crazy. They'll never pay you the money you want, but you didn't. Oh, no. I, I go home and I say, oh, I'm going to start all over again. Right. <laughs> and I, I wasn't planning on starting all over again. But there's, there's there's a phrase that came to mind. I was thinking about it today, too. Is There's no one easier to fool than an honest man. Yeah. Right? Honest people. They don't think. The question, they'll give you the answer to the question. Yeah. If an honest man it says something, that's what it is. The only time that they'll vary from that is... Is if they're, if they're trying to spare somebody from embarrassment. Right. right. But the other part of the world that is not honest, they will tell you anything. And the honest man will hear it assuming subconsciously that that's the truth. Right. And now I'm, now I'm interviewing with people that do not have my best interest at heart. And what I'm finding is, is, is there are red flags. And I'm smart enough to realize it's a red flag. I'm hopeful enough to think that, well, maybe it's not really a red flag. It just... Seems like a red flag, but time and again, we, we put out the, the only conclusion I can come to is that this is this is not this is not a, a, a good thing for me, right? And, uh, and, and one guy who I who had known from a, a previous business, uh, he was not working with investors capital. He was interested in buying my business too. Good. He said, I, "I'm moving. I'm moving into a new office. I'm going to have an office for you. We'll set it all up. It's it's, it's a beautiful place. It's well decorated. It's nice." And, and you know me, and, and my wife is a secretary, and we're just, this will be a great thing for us. Just bring your files in. And bring all your files. And I thought, bring all my files into your office. Maybe it's not a red, it, it, it's a red flag, whether it's a legitimate red flag or not. I, I, I'm not going to bring my files into your office. Without any sort of agreement anyway, right? There were, there were, there were, there were a few things that kept coming up. I say this, this doesn't seem right, and, and the more red flags they see, the more tentative I am in, in falling back. And the thing is, 
well, let's 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 value right. Tell tell me what you're willing to pay. Set set the terms of the, of the agreement. And what I want to do is because I don't really understand the medium, I want to bring this to somebody and have it evaluated. A professional. If it's okay. Yeah. Then it's okay, and we're done. And he keeps putting it off, and putting it off, and putting it off. I mean, we're, we're talking about the better part of a year. And the more he puts it off, the more I'm thinking. This, this is not going to work. Right? I was in his office as if I was his, his employee already instead of the person who was selling to him to make him look good to his clients. I was going with him to, to, to events, yeah. charitable events and things like that, as if I was part of his organization when I wasn't. Right. I, I went to a thing for Mercy Hospital, fundraising event. For, I think it was for cancer. And and I and I said that I was going to it and it, I was part of the organization and I wrote it and I handed him the check. And two days later we talked about this. Yeah, yeah, I wrote him the check and I said that he looked at me as if I had two heads. And I suddenly realized he didn't write him a check. But he looked like he wrote him a check when he was there. Right. So that's another example. Now, remember you mentioned about was it your uncle? This is a really important this one. My, this is my cousin. Oh, your cousin. This is an important story I want. Years before, one of my older cousins, he's a great baseball player, he was just an icon in my life. He was he was at the end of his career. He uh, he wanted to retire. He was in his eighties. He wasn't in the investment business though. But go ahead. They they sold packages, boxes, and things, primarily to orchards and, and places like that. Mm -hmm. so, and he was ready to retire. He and his son ran the business. And uh, and one of his competitors came and said, John, I'm thinking of buying your business. Let me come in and take, take a look at the business. And the way I heard it he, is he came in, he looked over the books and stuff. You know, here's here's the sales, and here's here's the, the prices, and here are the clients, and all that stuff. Without any legal agreement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just to see what it is, to see if he wanted to buy it. And when he was all done doing all this investigation, he said, I don't, I don't think so. But he walked away with a list of all his clients and prices and things. And here is here is this this cousin that, that I that I know. And he was shafted and he was into retirement. And the guy just walked in and said, Well, you pay so much for him, I'll sell it to you for this. And just took the business. There were there are unscrupulous people in the world in every profession. Yep. Right? There are in this too. And I saw some of that. The guy we were just talking about. I came at the end of that to believe. I had I had told him honestly again. I told him, you know, some some days uh, I, I I could continue to do this forever, mm -hmm. but there were some days that I couldn't get out of it fast enough. It, it stress. I had been periods of stress. I, I I limits with stress, but I thought, and I believe I believe to this day, right or wrong, I believe that he was waiting for me to get to the point where I would say. I just can't do anymore, and I would walk away. And he would pick up the phone and call our joint broker-dealer and say, well, I've got all these files here. We've been talking about this and getting together, and he's just stopped working. So transfer all his files over to me. There'll be no payments involved. Right. And one day he called to say, you know, cancel the appointment. We were going to talk about this. Uh, I, I, think he, I, you know, I think he emailed me. And my return email was, that won't be necessary. Right. Enough, enough of this. Right. And at that point, I had gone to FB Transitions. Yeah. 
and I had paid to have my business evaluated. Right. So I knew exactly what it was. And I put that thing, and I had put it on his desk. So he knew what the value of the business was. Right. So again, employing, and we interviewed them in the book, Epi Transitions, they're a great firm employing a professional yeah. to get you a third-party valuation was a very yeah. smart move. So I went to Epi Transitions and said, okay, I'll pay you even more money. Help me sell the business. And so now there are lists of people who are interested in buying the business and, and all this, and I'm going through these. And some work out and some, some don't want to talk to me because they do their business differently. Some probably people do. Epi Transitions say, talking about these things, is say, the, the, here are a certain class of people. You shouldn't consider them buying because they might not be able to pay the, 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 uh, the true value, right? Right. It's a, it's a, it's a sum of payments. Oh, I never thought of that. There, there were some people who were just too new, who weren't, who weren't skilled. Well, a lot of things mm -hmm. didn't appropriate. Right? And there were a lot of people who bought business that just weren't in the market right now. And eventually I'm going through these things and I'm finding things. And I, I settled on a guy mm -hmm. who was in the insurance industry. But I'm not a big fan of the insurance industry. <clears throat> but young, articulate, really nice guy, organized. It was in, it was in Waltham, Massachusetts. And he offered me a fair price. And so I said, that, that sounds good. And then, out of the blue again, you called me again. I called Mike. Oh, no, I've, 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 I've already decided on somebody. And you said, no, no, you can't do that. I said, you, you have to come back. You have to come back. That's exactly right. I said, you haven't seen the rest of our process and my team. You have to come back. Exactly right. Yeah. I'm easy. I can't, I can't say no to people. Right. All right, I'll come back to Glastonbury. I don't really want to go to Glastonbury. But I go back, and here I am, parked in the parking lot, building. And for some reason, I got out of my car, walked behind my car, and took a snapshot of my car. Oh, in front of the building, right, my, right. My, my Genesis Coupe yeah. in front of the building. That's right, I remember that. The nice picture. And then I went in for this, well, we're just going to talk a few minutes, and you're in Glastonbury. I'm in Western Massachusetts. And we walked in, and it was, it was just probably three years had gone by since the first time I talked to you. Right. And the more I'm sitting there, is, well, yeah, it's, you, you were doing, you were doing, you, you just have a, a, a huge assembly of, of, of programs and things. Right. You follow markets. You know what's happening. You know what's likely to happen. You know what all these things are. Nobody else had that. Right. right? The staff. The staff wasn't a boss and employee relationship. This is a team relationship. And everybody everybody has discretion and authority and stuff like that to do it, right? Yeah. You you do, do there. She does her things, he does his things. They all they all have the right, right? You know what you have to do, go ahead and do it. You don't have to ask me for anything. Right? This is what I do. This is what you do. We don't have to check just you. It is is a team organization that is integrated, who have been trained to know what to do, how to do it, where to take responsibility. And that was that was impressive. I don't think I had seen that anywhere like that. It, it certainly wasn't the people say, I'm not doing that, right? Complaining because they have so much work to do when they're not even actually managing people's money. Right, right. And that's the big thing about the industry is people want to get paid but not actually have to do the work. Yeah. So when we finally- And, and, and Jeannie yeah. O'Reilly had said- Yes, Jeannie. Go with the one that you think is best for your clients. And go, go with the one that's the best for yourself. I said, well, yeah, yeah, it, it's time. Right. And the clients, they're not going to Glastonbury. 
But they have but, since but then, actually. Yeah, yeah, in client events and stuff like that. Right. There's a lot of things, and they do. So the thing that I was thinking was too far away really wasn't the objection. The important part of it is he was going to do the job for the clients better than the other people I had talked to. And he was backed by an organization who supported him better than a lot of the other people I to. I said at the end, yeah, you will closely know it, it is a no-brainer. And and Jeannie said, she kept telling me, you're a legitimate buyer. <laughs> There's no red flags here. He's right. done this before. Right, correct. Gina, I worked together and she knew I was I was good for it. So when all that gets done, the fun part now for me, the joy, and uh, I can share with with the audience. So Mike was one of those guys that worked, you know, so hard for many years. He would squeeze in vacations like all of us. And then the magical summer, the summer after you had done the transition. Oh, first of all, remember this, we said God must have been with us because that was the one winter in New England. It hardly snowed that winter at all. And we were doing all the meetings, driving to clients' homes. And there was no snow. Well, we kept waiting for the big snowstorm to cancel, remember? And we said, why is it that one winter there was hardly any snowfall, right? And that worked out well. But for me, the joy was getting that text from you when you took the five-week trip, I think it was five, to California. I wanted to share with people because this text, literally, I had to change my service with my cell provider, was so long that I'm like, oh, my gosh, look at all the things he's doing, right? But I really want you to share because you said, I'm free. I'm going to go and travel now. Oh, good point. Yeah. How's that going to work? How's that going to work? And so Tom would get on the car with me, be out to see the client. And I'm thinking, boy, I hope that I hope they did every this thing goes well. It's going to be fine. You're going to love it. It's going to be fun. He's not worried about this. I'm worried about this. That's right. And we would see the client and all that. This is it's all homework with my clients. It just it, these are social calls. They are friendly with me. I am friendly with them. This is now you're, you're part of the family moving in, right? right? And yeah. If, you, know, if you, you have my blessing, and so they're accepting that. And the interesting thing, the interesting you said, we're coming back in a car one day. Yeah. Said, you're a hugger. I'm saying, That's right. I did say you're a hugger. I'm, 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 I, no, no. A handshake is almost too intimate. But with my clients, I always wanted my clients, male and female. To be on the same way. So I would shake the man's hand. I would shake the woman's hand. That was as close as I came. Right. And all of a sudden, he's saying, you're a hugger. And why? How, how is this happening? Right. I'm ending this thing, and I'm giving the guy's wife a hug. I, I am just enjoying myself, and they're enjoying it. We're all together. And I don't know who initiates these things, but they're happening all the time. Right, because you had said to me, I'm not a hugger. I said, well, according to me, you are, because every meeting ended with a hug. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was it was fun. You said it was going to be fun. Yeah, yeah it, it was fun. Well, see, I knew from experience, I said, if they trust you with their money and their life savings and you've done the right cultural due diligence, they're going to trust the person you recommend. Yeah. Because otherwise, if they didn't trust you, they wouldn't have their money with you. Yeah. Again, having been through it, I knew your character. I knew your clients. So I wasn't really going in with much trepidation. But the interesting thing was, in the end, yeah, you had a different personality with the hugging that I hadn't seen, because remember, I wasn't at meetings with them prior to that. I wouldn't have known them. So you didn't recognize in you what I saw in you. I, I grew up as the quietest person in the world. I had a fear of being able to told to sing in public. When I, went, when I was a kid, I went to my cousin's, cousin's birthday party. 
and the mother said, do you want me to sing a song? And I just, I couldn't do it. I was probably seven or eight years old. Yeah. And she pressed me and pressed me and pressed me. And I, and I couldn't ever, right? I just been shy, shy, shy. Right. And it's, <laughs> yeah, I came from that background, basically in choir, through working, selling insurance door to door, things like that. You overcome that shyness. Re rebuilding my life after my first marriage. Right. I, I became more outgoing. Still on quiet. I I don't tend to say something unless I have something to say. Right. But if I but if I'm friendly with you and I have something to say, you can't shut me up. <laughs> well, I want to hear about I want the audience to hear about that trip. Remember the one yeah. out in the West Coast? Yeah. I, but there's nothing characteristic about me. My wife warned me about before I came here today. She says, you know how somebody asks you a question, you tell them the answer, but the answer is in depth. <laughs> yeah. Because right? I'm not going to answer where there's any ambiguity, whether it's investments or friendships or whatever it is. Right. So by the time I get done, you won't have any questions left. <laughs> but don't don't do that when you go. <laughs> but we do. We want to hear about that famous trip out west. It, it started. It was visiting fun. They were talking about a trip to Alaska. Okay. And they're raving about this family trip to Alaska. It's the the, the most wonderful vacation they ever had. Now we're getting through. So as, as I'm getting close to retirement, right, getting all this all this stuff together, when it comes, I want to take a vacation, right? I, I've had enough three and four day vacations because I don't want to be away from work. We're going for a month. Christine yeah. had a cousin who lived in L.A. Your wife, Christine. Yeah. She had, she had polio as a child. And she had come back to visit with her new husband and saying, you know, nobody ever comes to visit me. And I said, when I retire, we're going there first. And then we drove up the coast of California, seeing all of the sites. All you know, there's too many stories to begin to tell. All the way up, we visited my son in Oregon. We we went we went to Portland. We flew to Vancouver. We got on the cruise ship. We took the cruise up up to up to Whittier, and then we got on a train and took the Denali cruise in the other end, and we went to Fairbanks. And before we flew home, it was almost a full month later driving all the way up the coast. It was just the two of us together, figuring it out, changing our plans, making adaptions, making mistakes, having to turn around and go back, all these things. But it was just the two of us together. And the pictures you sent me of like a sunrise or a sunset, they made me jealous where I wanted to go and take a vacation yeah. at that point. Yeah. There were so many things. We took a Duma. Christine was a teacher and she's pretty laid back and she's not, but she wanted to take a dune buggy ride because her brother had built a doom buggy with her father when he was when he was a kid. Yeah. Just a regular doom buggy. So we wanted to go to the dooms for the doom buggy ride. This is a different element. Yeah. And we got to the place and they and they said, We're we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna take this big one that goes out to the coast and it's in it's it's like more like a bus. So, oh, we're not running that today. <laughs> so we're in the middle of this grand vacation. We wanna do this and we can't do it today. We've got to be someplace else tomorrow. And they had they had the small dune buggies, and I remember seeing a picture in a magazine of the buggy going off the end of the cliff and bang <laughs> out into the dunes going down, and I'm thinking, Christine, I I, I don't think we should do this. <laughs> and and we're looking along, we're going to do. She says, we're going to take that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I don't I don't argue with my wife. We just harness. <laughs> no, there's four people in this thing plus the driver, or maybe five. And we're going, and the dunes are like, boom, straight. 
up in the goddamn air across the thing. Well, I think we're going to roll down the hill. I'm, I'm hanging on like this. She's excited and she's happy. Look, where is this coming from? The sand is blowing by. We're wearing goggles and stuff like that. I can't get off this goddamn thing fast. <laughs> she laughs all the way back. Partly it's because I'm the one hanging on for their life on this thing. Right. And I bet you weren't thinking about your continuity and succession plan at that moment, right? <laughs> that, was, that, was, that was done. Huh? That was done, so you didn't worry about that. Right, right. Yeah, it was the most magnificent conclusion of my entire life. And I couldn't tell you how much joy we got. I would cheer your text, you know, with Jordan and the team at the office. I would, Look what Mike's doing. And for me, the joy was you were doing it the right way. You were letting go and starting this new chapter, which, by the way, in all the research I've done, male and female, they hold on too long sadly and then they up having health problems and they can't enjoy it yeah. right and you did yeah. and i know there's been many vacations but let's add to me another favorite one your jan your grandson jack i gotta have everyone hear this one because i could we could keep you busy for hours on all of mike's stories and vacations but i want to segue because the grandchildren especially during covid were a special treat for you and christine but yeah. share that I, I'm, an, I, I'm an adventurous person I have adventures with my kids. What's your nickname? Adventures with my, I'm the adventure grandpa now. The adventure grandpa is your, is your nickname. I have some great stories yeah. with one of my other kids. But with, with Jack, he's he's two years old now. <clears throat> I I want to expose him to fascinating things, great experiences, all these things. <clears throat> and, in, and in Belchertown, <clears throat> this year, logging is a big thing. Price of lumber is way up. They're logging, they're clear-cutting places all over. And there's two places within a mile and a half of my house where these big operations are going on. And I see them, and then, you know, they, they, they cut the things down, the skinners drag them down to the thing, and the artic big articulating machines pick up the logs, swivel them around, put them in piles, and another one will pick them up from the piles, swivel them around, and place them on a truck, and the truck goes to the thing. I said, I, I got to bring my grandson to see this. He's too, he's going to love this thing. And, and the, the, the second time, we, they, and they were working. And this is January, and it's pretty chilly in January, but there's no snow on the ground. It might have been a very light rain. And we walk probably 30 yards from the car to where we can watch these two, and nobody stops us. <laughs> and we're, we're seeing <laughs> the adventure grandpa. No one's going to stop you. We stood there, didn't move for almost an hour, watching these mechanical arms looking at things like that. And then I said, it's pretty chilly. I, I got to get this two-year-old back inside and get warm again. <laughs> we are back in. Now we're, now we're back in the house. Christine was a teacher. right? Now we're doing this. Now we're doing this. Now we're having lunch. Now it's that. It's a structured day all day long. And I'm sitting at the in the table. It's it's coloring time. Where's where's the blue crayon? And Jack finds the blue crayon. Let's color with it. And he's scribbling with that. Where's the red one? Where's the magenta one? Oh, now, now, now it's time to put the crayons away, and now it's time for, I think it was lunch that was coming up. And so I'm sitting at the table. I'm, I'm enjoying just watching this. I just I enjoy watching everything about my children, my grandchildren. Just, and, and I'm sitting there, and they're picking them up, and I go. I lift my arm, and I move my arm in the, in the, in the motion of the machine for the logs, and I'm picking up the crayons and moving it down. And I'm putting it down by the grandma. And Jack looks up at me. Yeah. <laughs> this is now six months later. Right? This is summertime. That was January. And at any time, either Jack or I can do that same motion. Right. 
and we will just catch each other's eye and smile and say, yeah. Right? Yeah. And that's the memories. The, the thing that gets me most excited about that is the memories and the time you now have, you know, freed up with your children and grandchildren to do those things. Because, again, sadly, time flies so, you know, so fast for all of us that we forget. When you said, think about the aspect of sitting there for an hour uninterrupted with your grandchild not worried about anything in the world, but focusing. And that's what we all talk about being present and being focused. So with all of that, um, I wanted to wrap up on this thought for everybody. And then we know we're going to have Mike back. There's too many good stories. We're going to have him back. But Mike's a great example, not just from my opinion, from the industry's perspective, uh, knowing the next phase of his life, you know, enjoying spending that more time creating that new future, because too many people either don't know the next phase or maybe they fear it in their life and they never take that step. And I wanted to thank Mike for coming down today because really in the end, what's the purpose for all of us of building a life's work, you know, whether it's real estate or investments or whatever, if you actually don't get the time to enjoy it, right? To sort of, we call it monetize it. So with that, if you had any parting thoughts, Mike, for anybody listening, um, especially any advisors who aren't sure about that next step, what would you share with them now, looking back. Selling the business was the capstone to my career. If it went, if, if, it, if, if the sale failed, then I would regard myself as a failure. Okay. It didn't fail. It went spectacularly well. And that was the capstone. It was bought for a fair price by the right person who would take good care of my clients and allow me to step back. Right. Knowing that the clients were taken care of. And now, of, of all the, of all the boys born in 1940, probably more than half of them aren't here anymore. Right. And I am here reflecting on my life and all the successes of my life and having the ability to play with my grandchildren and teach my grandchildren and do all these things and reflect back on the fact that I have had a very interesting life. I've done a lot of things. I had a lot of, and I feel pleased with what I have accomplished. And you should and be. That, and that is the benefit of, of, of all of this. Right. If, if it wasn't for the sailing, that it, it wouldn't have been the same. So, yeah, I am, I am, I, I'm the happiest man in almost any room I'm in. That's wonderful. And when you finish your book, because Mike and I are both authors, when he finishes his first book, I'll have you back when you get the, you know, the thing edited or whatever and all cleaned up. We're going to have you back and talk about that because he's got. Uh, we got stories we could tell for hours and hours. But with that, I want to thank everyone today for listening uh, for the Succession Fit podcast. And we welcome you again to tune in next week. <laughs>